Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And Caroline, what a 2015 it has been. It's really been the, the 15-iest of the 15. Yeah. I mean, I think it's been kind of the biggest 2015 we've ever had. Yeah, I would say so. The most dramatic, the most hilarious. I know, the most heartwarming. And heartbreaking. It's really like a Hallmark Channel movie, 2015. Was. All of the emotions. Yeah. All smashed together in one glorious and sometimes awful year. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely lots of both of those. Glorious and heartbreaking and awful. And last year we did a Stuff Mom Never Told You year in review because listeners, in case you didn't know, we put out a lot of podcasts. Yeah, it turns out we do two a week. Yeah. Oh my gosh, there's so many. So we really enjoy taking this time during the holiday season to look back at what we've talked about and sort of see where some of those topics are sitting today and things that have happened. And we also wanted to take some time to look outside the podcast at the big issues relevant to gender, women and stuff. Mom never told you uh, going on outside our studio and some of the women who shaped the year, Caroline and myself, not included, of course. <laughs> So, Caroline, is it just me or does it feel like we talked about Taylor Swift five years ago? Oh, my God. I know. I can't believe that that was just a year ago. And it was we recorded it in our old studio space before we moved to a different office in Atlanta. So it super feels like it was a long time ago. And Taylor Swift has not stopped making news. I mean, I feel like I shouldn't have to tell people that. Like, of course, you probably know that unless you live under a rock. But Taylor Swift has been pretty much consistently making headlines for better or for worse since we talked about her a year ago. Yeah. And it's uh, interesting to see how much patience or impatience our Facebook fan base has whenever we post something about Taylor Swift, because She's still a divisive figure for some people. Well, yeah. And I mean, she continued her fight against like big music, uh, which is funny because she's part of big music. But she did fight back against Apple's uh, newly released streaming service, Apple Music. She pinned this open letter in June, slamming them for their decision not to pay artists during an initial three month free trial, which... Uh, was, you know, supposed to get everybody on board and that's great and that's wonderful. You can offer free music as a perk to your customers. However, why should that come at the cost of not paying your artists? And Taylor Swift was saying like, I didn't really expect it to go anywhere. And then it turns out that Apple was like, Oh, okay, you're right. Slash, we're scared of you, lady. So they decided that they would pay artists. Yeah, I mean, I feel like Taylor Swift really won 2015. I mean, she brought literally every celebrity you could ever think of up on stage at her concert. That would be some people's (laughs) argument for why she didn't win 2015. What? Do tell, Caroline. I know. Not everyone agrees on things. Can you believe it? Yeah, there was a lot of talk of uh, Taylor basically being the poster child for hashtag white feminism and for appropriating squad goals and things of that nature. Wait, how are you appropriate? Squad goal is something that you can appropriate. Uh, well, a lot of people were saying that Taylor Swift tried to appropriate black cool in 2015. In what way, though? I mean, I understand with the Shake It Off video, that was kind of a blatant uh, moment of appropriation. And then, of course, in the video that she shot uh, that was had the very 
out of Africa, the movie look to it where it was like white Africa safari. And that was an issue. But in terms of appropriating, I feel like Taylor Swift is the embodiment of like white girl, though. Well, basically, a lot of people in a whole bunch of pop culture think pieces took issue with the fact that Taylor and her basically like social media promotional machine kept using squad to refer to all of the, you know, gorgeous wispy models that she was bringing on stage and going on trips with and taking pictures with on Instagram and all that stuff when actually the and treating it like she had invented it when uh, as when, as Judnick Mayard over at The Guardian points out, this is something that had been used in rap and hip hop for a long time. And they were just throwing up their hands being like, are you kidding? Like, why are we attributing all of this pop culture stuff to Taylor Swift and saying that white girls invented everything? So not everybody was a fan of T-Swizzle this year. Or any year. T-Swizzle mm-hmm. never going to win when everybody. But there was... um a Taylor Swift moment that relates to another interesting thing that happened outside the podcast studio in 2015 um, when she was on the cover of Maxim's first revamped issue where they kind of claim to be going more feminist. And the, the issue, for instance, included a foreword by Roxanne Gay and they... Uh, brought on a female editor who wanted to sort of change, shift away from the cheesecake, uh, hyper objectifying of women, uh, angle that Maximus had for so long. And then of course, on the heels of it, a number of months later, we have Playboy announcing that it's shuttering its nude centerfolds, um, because nudity is so blase now. Boobs, who, I mean, you, first of all, internet porn is, Mostly free. You can see whatever you want with mm-hmm. uh, the Internet. So it makes sense that Playboy's doing it. But I, I love these arguments that like there were a couple of, of things of, oh, is, is Playboy going more feminist? And uh, I, I don't know that the absence of uh, naked centerfolds equals feminism. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's exactly what I was thinking when you talked about when you just mentioned Maxim going like, more feminist or like the the perception of it going, quote unquote, more feminist. And it's like, guys, guys, just because women are involved with something doesn't make it necessarily feminist. It just means, like you were saying, like maybe there's not boobs in your face all the time, necessarily naked boobs. And also I did uh, find it funny to see a lot of reactions online to the Playboy announcement of people being like, thanks a lot, like feminist PC police, like you're just taking away all of our fun times. And it's like, well, no, but you have like the whole Internet, you know, this thing that's the Internet where you can see boobs anytime you want. Yeah. I mean, and these are business decisions, yeah. too. I mean, people believing that. The heads of these companies are so convicted by, you know, Simone de Beauvoir that they're like, oh, well, we need to <laughs> axe this feature from our products is, uh, I mean, it's just kind of laughable. And it was something that I was thinking of uh, far more recently when the Pirelli calendar mm-hmm. came out and went viral. And of course, it contained all of these um, talented and some self-identified feminist women like Tavi Gevinson and Amy Schumer and you have uh, Fran Lebowitz and all of these um, other women rather than going the sexy or hyper-sexy route that Pirelli has traditionally gone and people of course were hailing it as a feminist thing but then in reading the New York Times 
style piece about it, they interviewed um, a, a woman in the industry who was basically like, I mean, feminism's so hot right now. Of course, we're not going to go with these, you know, half naked women when that just doesn't look good for the brand. I mean, yeah. smart women are very on brand right now, which is great. I mean, that's, it's, I'm not, I'm not upset yeah. about that, but I think conflating all of this is short sighted and waters down what feminism is all about. Well, it goes back to our, um, our hope feminism episode where we talked about is that what we called it what do we call it it was the the feminism in fashion episode where we discussed people like Karl Lagerfeld and so many others sort of trading on this moment that um i don't want to say girl power and make you think of like the weak watered down 2000s era spice girls feminism but like how woman power is having a moment and it's like cool to talk about negotiating a higher salary and everything it's like so let's trade on this and make money off of it and and use it as a way for us to get our brand and our name and our image into the popular conversation and yes do i think it's kind of gross yeah but does it also have the upside of getting people talking about it? Like, that's great. You know, I I pick up Glamour Magazine or Marie Claire uh, time and again, and more and more they're having all of these great, not only women-centric feature articles, but powerful women-centric features. Even Cosmo, which was my favorite magazine to rag on forever, like I could not stand Cosmopolitan magazine, even they are having like rah-rah go women features in their magazine. Oh, they're doing so much incredible reporting these days. Same thing with Elle magazine. Mm -hmm. I mean, the it's great that the audience is there for it, too. Mm -hmm. And women our age want it, and they want smarter media. And yeah, we still want the beauty and style features as well, but the substance has to be there too. And I think that the looking forward, what will be interesting to see is how this female empowerment, feminism, however you want to call it, how that becomes more and more uh, monetized and corporatized as it will be because these kinds of media images and advertisements obviously resonate with so many people and go viral and Mm -hmm. get so much brand attention. It'll be interesting to see how that, whether that does have any real world impact on the actual issues involved with feminism and equality and even self-esteem and body image. Mm -hmm. Well, hopefully it will at the very least, normalize conversations about this stuff so that maybe a 12-year-old girl reading Glamour will be able to grow up thinking like, no, I, I can't ask for a higher salary. You know, like that that would be amazing instead of just growing up worried about what kind of lipstick or zit cream or, or body type she should have. Well, and how do you think that it would impact boys' perceptions of women? Because it's like we're the audience for all of these empowering articles and inspirational, always maxi pad commercials. But what is that teaching boys? Well, I don't, I mean, I don't know. What is it teaching boys? Is it, is it showing them that like, Oh, the girls are talking amongst themselves about feminism and self-esteem. What? I mean, I don't know. What do you think? I just wonder if it is, you know, I, I just, I wonder how these, these messages are, are reaching boys as well, because there's obviously so much conversation 
happening among girls and women and guys need guys need those convos too not to be all binary about it his and hers well no absolutely i mean children in general would benefit from conversations about self-esteem consent um about the fact that all the people around you matter too that this is not just a world that's built for you it's built for all of us um, it'd be great to teach kids empathy and compassion. Uh, those are things that can benefit everybody. Well, speaking of advertising and media literacy, there is another company that's been having a bit of fun slash kind of a headache with their advertising, and that is Period Panty Company Thinks. Uh, they had some subway and taxi ads that were called too offensive because they featured... Just pictures of women paired with pictures of grapefruits or pictures of eggs. And at first, the uh, transit authority was like, ah, I don't know. This is it's too suggestive. It could it's it's inappropriate. But there was such a backlash online that they ended up relenting and letting the ads be published on the subway. But the company that handles advertisements in taxis, uh, taxi cabs, video screens, they shot it down. They said it would be offensive to some of their writers. Oh, man. This has been such a year for women's bodies being so offensive. We talked about free the nipple. We talked about period pride. I mean, speaking of mm-hmm. thinks and period panties. Um, and it seems like ladies just aren't having it no more. Yeah, there does seem to be. Well, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. There just seems to be this exhaustion with like, why? Are you still so squicked out about women's bodies? And I would argue that that trickles down even to our conversation about athleisure mm-hmm. and how athleisure is clearly not dressing for a male gaze. And I don't know if you remember this or not, Caroline, but a couple months ago, there was a feature on a Fox News morning show where a panel of guys, including one of the Duck Dynasty dudes, FYI, uh, were sat down and a, a group of women in leggings were paraded in front of them for the guys to evaluate whether or not these women were appropriately dressed to be in public. What a train wreck. It I, was astonishing. I Yeah, I I found myself like watching with my hands on either side of my face, very Home Alone-esque, like this, I, this can't be happening. It's 2015 and there is a, a news broadcaster that thinks it's good news or good broadcasting practice to parade young, conventionally attractive women in running gear, essentially, or yoga gear in front of these men whose opinions don't matter. Are you okay? Are you parading them around in front of like Michael Kors for his fashion advice? Are you parading them around in front of a a personal trainer to give them fitness advice? I could almost see those things, especially if the women themselves were like, I need fashion advice or I need yeah. fitness advice. I'm about to go on a job interview. Is yeah. this an appropriate outfit? Help me, please. But to parade them around in front of like randos, including the Duck Dynasty guy, was horrifying because they were like, oh, my God, I can see your whole leg or whatever. Well, and getting very... Uh, verklempt. Very verklempt. Yes. I mean, because it was essentially it was a contest to see like, how fast can we sexualize these women? Yeah. You know, let's, let's look at, let's look straight at their bodies. Let's really 
break this down. And I mean, that, and that relates to, as far as younger girls, to all the conversations around dress codes. Yeah. How, I mean, I love how tweet and teenage girls also are not having it in terms of those double standards. Oh my God, it's hilarious. It's not hilarious, but it's crazy to me. And it's fascinating to watch how these like 16 year old girls are finding their voices to protest Sexist dress codes. I mean, do you go to a school that has a dress code? Okay, cool. A lot of us did or do. Um, having a dress code in and of itself is not a bad thing. However, so many young girls are finding their voice in order to be like, listen, you can't say that I need to be kicked out or suspended or be sent to the principal because I have shorts on or a bit of a bra strap showing and use the excuse that it's going to be distracting to boys. Because that's fair. That is fair to no one. And it was so great to see how the letters and petitions that these girls were writing were just catching fire on the Internet. Well, and we could see a similar impatience, too, happening uh, within certain professional fields and women. I mean, the conversations around women and STEM jobs, science, technology, engineering and math had a number of viral moments where you had the hashtag distract distractingly sexy scientists. And also this is what an engineer looks like. I mean, there were just a lot of moments of really great and humorous visibility of women in those fields saying, hey, we exist this is what I look like. This is what I'm doing. These are the places that I'm working and the cool instruments that I'm using. And uh, this year throughout the podcast, we had a lot of great episodes looking at typically male dominated uh, professions and sort of charting the history of that. Yeah. And I loved there was this Wired article I read, uh, I guess it was a couple weeks back now that sort of looked at the whole women in science thing, but also discrimination against women in science and also how they were finally fighting back all over 2015. And it listed a bunch of examples, not all of which we talked about on the podcast. Yes, there was the distractingly sexy, which came about when Nobel laureate Tim Hunt, who I I, I specify Nobel laureate because that's my way of saying should know better. Uh, said that scientists in labs were distracting and he ended up losing his honorary professorship. But lest you think it stops there, we also had the Rosetta space probe scientist who wore that awful shirt that was covered in pictures of scantily clad women. He caught a lot of flack. Uh, a lot of men on the Internet did not understand why that man should be criticized, but the guy ended up tearily apologizing. You also had, it was not a great year for uh, dudes talking about ladies and astronomy. Famous Berkeley astronomer, exoplanet hunter Jeff Marcy, has allegedly been sexually harassing students for years. He ended up resigning in disgrace this year. And one of the last points in this article about basically like, how things are kind of awful in science for women in terms of harassment and discrimination, but how women are, are basically talking back, finally. Virologist Alice Huang, who's an advice columnist for a career site run by the journal Science, was she's writing an advice column, right? And her answer for a woman who was like, what do I do with my advisor staring down my shirt all the time? Her answer was just like to put up with it. She's no longer writing that advice column. But 
the point being with so many of these things is like you've always had women being discriminated against in the sciences. You've always had women facing sexual harassment issues. But now there's finally stuff like hashtag girls with toys, hashtag distractingly sexy things that are finally drawing attention to the fact that like you can't talk to us like this anymore. Come on. Yeah, I mean, and for podcast listeners who might want to learn more and also hear about women who have been paving the way for us today, we did a two-parter at the beginning of the year on astronomy, which was so fascinating. Our stargazers two-parter was such an education for me, to be honest. I did Mm -hmm. not know all that much about astronomy history. We talked about Margaret Mead and anthropology, Um, the contrast between... Um, architecture and interior design and the gendering of those two professions were some really fascinating conversations that we had as well. Also, women in construction. Yeah. Talk about sexual harassment on the job site. Yeah, we also talked to Nina McLaughlin about what it's like being a, a lady carpenter. A carpentrix? Carpentrix. Yeah, that's her her Tumblr. Yeah. Carpentrix. Yeah, yeah. We She was one of many fascinating people we had on the podcast this year. We also talked to Egyptologist Kara Cooney uh, about Hatshepsut in our episode, The Woman Pharaoh. She was a fascinating interview. And we got a lot of good response to that. I was super pleased that people loved it as much as we did. Yeah. Who else do we need to shout out to uh, for coming on the show this year, Caroline? We also had, let's see, in the single by choice episode, I talked to sociologist Kinneret Lahad. Uh, she's basically dedicated all of her research to looking at the attitudes towards single women, particularly uh, single women in what are called pronatal societies. So like the U.S. is definitely a pronatal society, like get married, have kids. But Israel is even more so. And she lives in Israel. And that was a big one that we got a lot of listener response from yeah, as well. Yeah, a lot of people being like, thank you for at least addressing that, like maybe marriage isn't the end all be all for everybody. Uh, we also talked to... Producer Sylvia Massey. That was a fascinating interview. She's worked with a lot of big names in music. Uh, let's see. Kristen Ebeling. We chatted with her for our Skate Like a Girl two-parter. Yeah, that was a good one. And we had so many podcast guests on. We talked to the host of Black Girls Talking, of Throwing Shade, Chicks Who Script, Hillary Frank of The Longest Shortest Time. That was a really fun summer series. And we just talked to Kevin and Demi from The Gilmore Guys. I know. Oh, man. Gilmore Girls, one of our most hotly anticipated episodes. Yeah. Those guys were a delight. And The Gilmore Guys, collectively... Uh, are the second ever dudes on the podcast. Yeah, I think the first was Jonathan a couple years ago, right? Jonathan Jonathan Strickland Strickland of Texta. Yeah. And we also have to give a shout out to our co-workers, Holly and Raquel. Holly from History Stuff and Raquel, who's a producer here at How Stuff Works uh, and a publisher, I mean. Uh, And of course, Emily Hund and Brooke Aaron Duffy. They were on our fashion blogger episode, too. Yeah, lots of great feedback on that one. We have some fashion bloggers in our audience who were definitely uh, nodding their heads in agreement about all of the invisible work that goes behind that Mm -hmm. effortless perfection that you see all over Instagram. Absolutely. Well, did you have, I mean, we covered so much this year, Kristen. Did you have any episodes that you were most excited to research or prepare for? Well, I don't know that I would call it excitement necessarily, but the anxiety episode was one that I definitely anticipated learning more about because as we talked about in great detail in that episode, um, that was a personal subject. So it was, it was an opportunity to really 
dive into my own issues. And it resonated so much with our audience. I mean, yeah. it's, it, it came out, you know, not that long ago. And we still get, we're still getting letters, you know, every week from, from folks saying like, this is what happens with me. Thank you so much for talking about it. Um, so it was a really, I don't know. It, it was educational, but it's also been kind of a bonding experience. Yeah. It for sure has. It's really, it's really struck me the letters we've been getting in response to both the anxiety and the perfectionism episodes that people are like, I, I just didn't anticipate so many people saying, thank you for helping me feel like I'm not alone and that I'm normal. In my weirdness, I'm normal just like you are. So I was also really excited to look into anxiety and perfectionism, but also borderline personality disorder, which is uh, not uh, my own personal struggle. But I was just so curious about it because that's another one of those health conditions that I feel like people just tend to throw around or dismiss and just call people crazy. So I was really looking forward to sort of busting some myths and stereotypes about that one. Pop culturally, um, an early episode from 2015 that was so much fun. So fun. In fact, we made it a two parter. I uh, was women in comics. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, I forgot that we did that this year. <laughs> And it was a two-parter. I know. Well, it feels so long ago. I know. It was so long ago. But that was another one where our fan base was really excited about that. Well, everybody had so many great recommendations, too, which I was so excited about. Because I don't necessarily know the first thing about how to recommend comics to anyone. But that's where our listeners stepped in and had a great bunch of ideas. Yeah. And we have a list of 50 uh, comics by women over at StuffMomNeverToldYou.com that you can check out if you are interested. Um, another big conversation that struck a chord with our audience as well was maternity leave, baby weight, all the, the scrutinizing of pregnant women's bodies in the United States. Yeah, and we talked a lot about Princess Kate and also Kim Kardashian, and those are two women who just had their, each of them just had their second child. So they are back in the news cycle in terms of baby weight and bodies and, oh, when are they going to fit back into their clothes? And I just find myself shaking my head like, come on, Us Weekly. Here we go again. Here we go again. Well, Caroline, three women that we did not talk about on the podcast this year that I would argue shaped 2015, at least in the United States, more than anyone else. And they should have been the trio co like time women of the year. No offense, Angela Merkel. Alicia Garza, Opal Tometi, and Patrice Cullors started Black Lives Matter and I mean, I, I just I cannot think of <laughs> any woman or women who did more to start just like important conversations in the United States. Well, the fact that they started it two years ago and that the the conversation has only picked up steam and that it is I mean, they are three black women who started this to draw attention to the killing of Trayvon Martin and how now their movement has become like a true feet on the ground marching for rights movement out in the streets. Yeah, I mean, it's like the, the civil rights movement of our time. Well, yeah, but I mean, not to, and I really do not mean this in a dismissive way, but it's like the millennials version of the civil rights movement in terms of there not being necessarily a huge top down structure, but it's more about just amplifying voices through social media, getting the word out about whether it's protests or injustice happening in this country. It's been an incredible 
uh, unifying movement to watch happen in this country. Well, and it's not only, of course, opened up so many conversations about race in the United States, but also about gender within the black community, too. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's very notable that these are women who started this movement because civil rights was not the the movement itself and its leadership structure wasn't always the friendliest and most open toward women. I mean, of course, you have uh, women like uh, Daisy Bates and other organizers doing things, but the the overall structure was um, sometimes lady exclusive. Yeah. Yeah. And I also wanted to mention uh, another name that jumped out to me this year was Maria Geis, who basically led the charge for women directors in Hollywood. Um, I had read in October about how the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission had started interviewing all of these lady directors in order to see what type of action, if any, they should take to combat discrimination against female film and TV directors. I didn't really know what was behind it. And so I read this great article over at The Hollywood Reporter about Maria Geis, who'd effectively been locked out of directing after 1995, um, and her reasoning behind it, she said there were many triggers, but the strongest was my realization that the virtual absence of women directors in Hollywood was tantamount to the censoring and silencing of female voices in U.S. media, America's most global export. And so she essentially rallied a lot of people to her cause to the point where now the EEOC is investigating. But this comes after the Directors Guild of America president told her, like, Basically, can you just sit down? I mean, women will get more of a voice. Once minority men start to see more of a voice as directors in Hollywood, it'll happen for women too. just just chill out. Oh, wait our turn. OK. Yeah. So just wait your turn. And she's somebody and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm tipping my hand, but I would love to see if we could get her on the podcast in 2016. I mean. She has a lot of fascinating perspectives. And and the whole thing, though, about silencing and providing perspective is something that we've also heard from other female directors and screenwriters, people like Ava DuVernay, who has been a huge voice in Hollywood this year for not only uh, black women's representation behind the camera, but just diversifying perspectives. I mean, that woman got her own Barbie doll. I know. And the Barbie doll sold out in like 17 seconds. I know. It was originally going to be just a special edition. And then response was so massive across the Internet. Mattel was like, OK, well, we'll just, you know, of course, we want to sell more dolls. So yeah. they made it into a regular run of a Barbie doll and sold out, which is so notable, too, because if you know much about the history of of dolls in the United States, they have mostly been white. If you know anything about Barbies, shocking, you know, so um, that that she was a black Barbie who also has braids. I mean, there was uh, people were very excited that this was happening. I mean, even even the doll, um, (laughs) even the doll was excited. Yeah. I mean, even the doll was a milestone in our culture. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. As well, it should be. And I really want one. I mean, now that I have Amy and Tina action figures, I think the Ava DuVernay Barbie is my next purchase. (laughs) They need a friend. They need a friend who can direct them. Well, another artist slash student who also started a huge conversation and controversy along with that was uh, Emma Sulkowitz, whose Carry That Weight performance piece where she carried her mattress around uh, Columbia University in protest of the university not kicking out 
uh, the guy that she alleges sexually assaulted her. I mean, I feel like that was kind of a visualization of this massive conversation and movement and even White House initiative that uh, really picked up steam in 2015 around the issue of campus sexual assault. Yeah, and we'll see what happens. There was a recent report that pointed out that legislators in at least 28 states this year introduced bills to change how college administrators prevent and address sexual violence on campus. That's not that's only a little over half of our states. So we'll see how that progresses in 2016. Well, and I want to know, too, how the California bill of the uh, act of consent law that Jerry Brown signed into law, how that has an impact as well, too, because that was a landmark piece of legislation basically saying, no, this is what consent is. This is what yes means. Yes, you have to. Um, it added much needed nuance to what consent means in uh, legal forms as well. And then because this is stuff I've never told you, can we close out our year in review on a period shout out? <laughs> okay. So Kieran Gandhi, I think was the face or or the menses of uh, period pride in 2015. Her marathon run sans tampon or pad went viral and started a whole conversation about women's bodies. Free bleeding. Free bleeding. Yeah, it, got, it started some, you know, men's rights trolls, uh, a hashtag in and... I just thought it was fantastic. Yeah, I thought it was fantastic, too, because it's just another woman saying, like, our bodies are not gross. Our our bodily functions are not disgusting. This is part of uh, this is just part of my biology. So deal with it. Well, and of course, we got to give a shout out to our listeners. We have such fantastic and engaged listeners. And Caroline and I care about you all so deeply, and we wanted to share some of the messages that you all have been sending us about a variety of episodes, because, I mean, it's just so fun to hear the diversity of experiences and opinions that you all always have and share with us about all of the random topics that we end up talking about on Stuff Mom Never Told You. So let's share a few before we say... Au revoir to at least part one of this year in review, because spoiler alert, we do have a part two and we're going to talk about even more women that we didn't talk about in this episode. So you got to stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, let's hear from some listeners. I have a note here from Emma. She says, I got introduced to your show from my best friend, Tuliki. She's Finnish, and I am Swedish, and we both live in Norway. When I listened to your Free the Nipple podcast, you kept saying normalizing the female body, and it really made me realize how important that is. I grew up in a culture where the sauna is a regular family and friends activity. Here in Scandinavia, it's naked. None of this bather's nonsense I keep encountering elsewhere. I never knew how much this exposure to being naked in a non-sexual way has shaped me and my thoughts. I saw my mom breastfeed in public, saw all my female relatives naked, and my closest male ones, too. It was never anything but normal. It gives you a view of normal bodies, different ages, different shapes, and more acceptance. Being naked shouldn't be a state of shame. We're all naked under our clothes. I plan to expose my kids to the same, given I can convince my French partner to be more Scandinavian. I love your show. I hear views and thoughts and issues that I haven't been exposed to here in Scandinavia, and plenty that we have in common. Thank you, Emma. 
Well, one episode that we heard a lot from listeners about as well was our Girls Who Lift podcast on women and weightlifting. And Emily wrote us on Facebook to say, I was really excited to hear your episodes on Ronda Rousey and weightlifting in general. I actually listened to the latter while deadlifting. I started lifting about two years ago. In reading and researching, I heard a lot about how, for many women, it's hard to step into the weight room and take up space in a male-dominated environment. I count myself fortunate for the experiences I've had previously as a preteen at a camp surrounded by guys, as well as through hiking the Appalachian Trail. Both of these experiences made it way easier for me to get into the weight room without regard for it being a male-dominated space. And she goes on to say, I love the way my body looks when lifting regularly. In addition, as a person with an eating disorder, lifting has really helped me recover and reconnect with a positive body image. Being able to deadlift my own body weight really helps give me a sense of power and control that I was struggling with in my eating disorder. Anyway, thanks for doing the episode on weightlifting, especially on the history of women lifting. And thanks for the great podcast. Well, I, if we're going to keep going because I love our listeners, I have a letter here from Katie. She says, I'm a freshman in high school. I've lived in the same small town in Texas my whole life. It's pretty stereotypical in the conservative Christian, it's heritage, not hate way. Not to say I don't love it. Our football boys made state and I couldn't be prouder, but I digress. I'm so thankful for your show. I've had almost no opportunities to learn from unbiased sources about controversial topics. Everything I've been taught on that subject has been quite slanted. In our sex ed class, the girls were told that every time we have sex, we'll get STDs. That abortion would most likely kill us and shame the man involved for his whole life. I have been told I can't play football or baseball and often get babied in my ag class when we work in the shop, all because I'm a girl even though I am the go-to when somebody needs help. I feel bad for complaining to y'all, but I want to let you both know that you've changed my look on life. Listening to the show introduced me to a different way of treating people. Your show makes me feel a little less alone that I'm not the only person who believes that sexuality, color, and gender have no effect on the rights a person should get. I have found out how I want to live my life, and y'all were a big part of that process. I can't thank you enough. Feel free to write back. Well, Katie, we're not writing back, but we are reading your letter on the air. And thank you so much for your kind words. Well, I've got a letter here from Katie that I did share on our social media, but I'm going to share it again because it was one of my favorites of the year. She wrote, I just wanted to thank you guys for all the podcasts you do. I decided to look back to where I started listening, and the earliest date is November 2nd, 2009, which was on why women have more migraines than men. So if I started listening in February of 2009, I've been listening from the age of 11. (laughs) I've listened to most of your podcasts, and they've given me a lot of knowledge I wouldn't have had otherwise. Your podcast also helped shape me into the strong feminist I am today at 17, Tumblr has helped with that a lot in more recent years, but your podcast kicked it all off. So thank you so much for all of your effort with the podcasts and videos each week. They're truly enjoyable. Oh, Katie, thank you so much for growing up with us. Aww. Love it. Well, I have a letter here from Roxanne. Uh, our episode on adult acne, in which Kristen and I basically just complained and looked for solutions about our own acne. <laughs> for 45 minutes. Uh, that episode really resonated with listener Roxanne. 
Uh, she says, I discovered the Sminty podcast a couple of months ago, and I love the show. I don't like a lot of podcasts. Print is my native habitat, and I have a hard time concentrating on audio-only information. But you both keep the show engaging and fascinating. So Roxanne says, when I started grad school last year at 29, I began experiencing breakouts at an astonishing rate. I don't think of myself as a vain person. I rarely wear makeup, but I was mortified. Through adolescence, I never had a problem. I would have to do something actively horrible to my skin to get a breakout, like not washing it for six days. And even then, I get maybe a pimple. You're both absolutely right, though. No one tells us about this. At first, I tried treating it like with traditional acne products, only to have it get much much worse. That was when I finally looked up, you know, actual medical information and learned how different the two types of acne are. And one source even likened late onset acne to rosacea. I can't recall if they said the two conditions are related or or comorbid, but both are worsened by overly harsh drying or abrasive treatment regimens. I still don't have mine completely under control, but it's improved with gentler treatment. And here's a big factor, sunscreen. While sunlight can help teen acne, it can make adult acne and rosacea worse. I use a zinc-based physical sunscreen that never seems to trigger breakout no matter how often I reapply. My biggest triggering factor seems to be stress. While I do notice a fluctuation in frequency along my cycle, for the most part, I'll only have a problem with whiteheads until I experience a major stress anxiety episode. And within a day or two, I'll have two to three big angry cystic pimples. It's a great time to be in grad school. I'm sure I'll never get a handle on it fully until I learn to manage my stress better, but I'm hoping one day I can go back to not constantly wondering what people are thinking when they look at my face. Love the show. Love your topics. Take care. And you take care, too, Roxanne. And finally, I've got a letter here from Ellie, and she writes... I wanted to say thank you for your piece on significant others and more specifically for raising the issue of what to call your significant other who identifies as non-binary or genderqueer. I go to a small liberal arts college where almost half of my immediate friend group identifies as genderqueer or non-binary and uses the gender neutral pronouns they, them and theirs. So needless to say, this issue has come up for some of us. Most people I know who have non-binary significant others just refer to them as their SO, short for, you guessed it, significant other, but it varies from person to person. For instance, I went from identifying as a cis woman to a non-binary in the middle of my last relationship, so I had no problem with my girlfriend continuing to refer to me as her girlfriend, since that was what we were both used to. However, now that I'm feeling more comfortable in my identity, I don't think I would want to date someone who called me their girlfriend anymore. That no longer aligns with my identity, and I would probably ask them to call me their S.O. I know S.O. seems like it would sound awkward in everyday conversation, but it really isn't at all. Also, the issue of gendered language comes up in spaces other than romantic ones. I play for the women's soccer team at my school, and my teammates have had to adjust away from saying things like, what's up, girl, and hey, pretty lady, to me. To rectify this, I joke around with my teammates that I'm actually a gender blob. And instead of saying, what's up, girl, they can say, what's up, blob? It's silly and lighthearted, but I choose to joke about it because there really is no gender-neutral option for a lot of the manners in which we speak to each other. I just wanted to give you my two cents as someone who has had to think about this quite a bit recently. On a different note, blah, blah, blah. I think you two are absolutely brilliant, blah, blah, blah. I'm in love with you, blah, blah, blah. I love the podcast, whatever. So thank you so much, Ellie. And thanks to everybody who's written into us this year. And we'd love to hear your favorite Stuff Mom Never Told You moments from 2015. If you'd be willing to share, momstuff at howstuffworks.com is our email address. 
And for links to all of our podcasts, videos, social media, and blog, head on over to StuffMomNeverToldYou.com. And happy holidays. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 